0: We're in. We are.-hmm. Hello, and welcome to Mystery Team Inc, the podcast where we tell each other mysteries and never solve them. I'm Maggie, That's Kayla.
1: Hi. And let's do some mysteries. Let's do some mysteries. Um, I can't wait to be so frustrated that I want to throw things.
0: Yay., hmm. the ceremonial quacking of the beals. Quack,
1: quack. <laughs> That's so
0: close to the microphone.
1: <laughs> it splashed <laughs> on you. It always does. Ooh, a cheer. A cheer. Okay. Who goes first? I do because I realized that you've gone first the last... Every time. <laughs> like four times. Yeah. For thematic reasons <laughs> and otherwise reasons. Great. So, I have to go first. Let's do it. Okay, so, my mystery is <clears throat> the death of a Lisa Lamb. Ah! <laughs> I'm
0: so excited. You should
1: put in, like, a spooky scream. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, put so. put more sound effects in. Yeah. That's what someone told me once, and I was like, you don't know our brand, but... They were right. <laughs> he was right. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, so before I get to Elisa's death, I'm going to give you a quick history of the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles.
0: <gasps> oh, yeah, I forgot. Okay, this episode accidentally has a theme. Mm-hmm. The theme of this episode is Hollywood, right? Or, like, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Unsolved Mysteries.
1: Yeah, which is weird. Murders. Murders. Great. Okay, so the Cecil Hotel opened in 1927 in downtown Los Angeles. It flourished until the Great Depression, and then once again became known as a, quote, fashionable destination in the 1940s. After the 1940s, the hotel began to decline. Um, It's in the middle of what turned out to be Skid Row downtown. Oh, shit. So in the 40s, it had as many as 10,000 homeless people living within a four-mile radius. Oh, my God. Which... You know, we've all seen not all. You and I have both seen, yes, <laughs> the 10 cities in downtown. Um, you thought about renting there when you were looking for <laughs> a studio that was
0: like two grand a month.
1: Yeah, and then it would have been like 1,400 for <laughs> a 10 by 10 foot plot. Yeah. Okay, so then by the 1950s it gained a reputation as a permanent residence and also a home for transients. Mm-hmm. So a permanent residence, and exactly the opposite of that. Yeah, well, okay. people were living there, okay. and also transients were there too. <laughs> Great. By the 1950s, it had gained a reputation as how do you say that a residence for transients? But if they're transient, then they're inherently not residing anywhere. Right. Transients were there. <laughs> a
0: stayover spot. <laughs> stayover spot.
1: Okay, well, by the 1950s, there were a bunch of transients staying there. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Um, so, the first documented suicide. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it took a real hard S- lesson. Sprung that on me. <laughs> the first documented suicide was in 1931, when a man named W.K. Norton died by taking poison capsules Mm-mm. in his room. And then by the nineteen, WK
0: Norton does not sound
1: like a transient name. <laughs> I think he was just staying there. Mm. He wasn't transienting there. By the 1960s, so many people had killed themselves there that longtime residents began to call it the suicide. Oh. Just not clever. <laughs> not but... like the suicide hotel. No. Just the suicide. Because they were like, oh, the Cecil, the suicide. <sighs> it's no. just poor wordplay. Mm-mm um the hotel also became a rendezvous spot for adulterous couples drug activity and prostitution mhm also the cecil is where it is rumored that elizabeth short the black dahlia had her last drink cool also mm-hmm. the cecil is where richard ramirez stayed in the 1980s no mhm the Ooh. night stalker creepy So then, in 2007, the hotel came under new owners who, like, tried to refurbish it, and then the city was like, you can't do that because there's people living there, and they're all, like, low income, Mm -hmm. so you can't just, like, change Mm -hmm. the status of the building. So they did, like, half of it was, like, a, quote, fancy hostel, and the other half was the residence. Um, And then in 2013, they rebranded it as the Stay on Main, which is what it's called now. It was also the hotel that inspired the season of American Horror Story Hotel. Oh, no. Mm Mm-hmm. Elisa Lamb was a 21-year-old student from Vancouver. She went to the University of British Columbia, and then she traveled from Vancouver to Los Angeles alone on Amtrak. She got there on January 26th. Two days later, she checked into the Cecil, where she initially shared a room on the fifth floor, but then she was moved to her own private room after the roommates complained about her, quote, odd behavior. Mm -mm. Um, she had been in contact with her parents every day of the trip. On January 31st, she was supposed to check out of the Cecil and leave for Santa Cruz, and her parents didn't hear from her. So they called the LAPD. Do we ever find out what her weird behavior was? Maybe. Okay. Um... So they filed a missing persons report. The LAPD started investigating. They interviewed a bunch of hotel staff who said that they saw her on the 31st and she was alone every time they saw her. Um, The manager of a nearby bookstore said that she went into the bookstore to buy gifts for her family and she was lively and outgoing and friendly. Uh, They searched her room and they brought dogs through the building and even onto the roof and they didn't catch her scent anywhere. Even in like her own room, I don't know if they brought the dogs into the room, but they brought the dogs through the building. Mm-hmm. Um, on February fourteenth, which is two weeks after she went missing, the police released a video of the last known sighting of her which is a very, very puzzling, creepy video of her in the elevator. I hate this. Have you seen this video? It blows my mind that you haven't seen it. And I have it for you, and I'm going to make you watch it. What year was this? 2013. (gasps) This is a recent mystery. This is recent, and it was all over the internet, and people lost their mind. So, the clip is shown from the back left corner of the elevator with a partial view of the hallway outside the elevator. Elisa enters... um, from the left and goes to the control panel appears to select several floors and then steps back to the corner after a few seconds during which the doors fail to close she steps up to it leans forward so her head is through the door looks in both directions and then quickly steps back in backing up to the wall and then into the corner near the control panel
0: it really looks like she thinks that someone's following her
1: mhm Uh, The door remains open. She walks to it again and stands in the doorway, leaning on the side. Suddenly, she steps out into the hall, then to her side, back in, looking to the side, and then back out. She then steps sideways again, and for a few seconds, she is mostly invisible behind the wall. She then steps sideways again, and for a few seconds, she is mostly invisible behind the wall. She has her back to just outside. The door remains open. Her right arm can be seen going up to her head, and then she turns to re-enter the elevator, putting both hands on the side of the door. She then goes to the control panel, presses many more buttons, some more than once, and then returns to the wall she had come into the elevator from, putting both hands over her ears again briefly as she walks back to the section of the wall she had been standing against before. Uh, The door remains open. She turns to her right and begins rubbing her forearms together, then waves her hands out to her sides with her palms flat and her fingers outstretched while bowing forward slightly and rocking gently. Uh, This can all be seen through the door, which remains open. After she backs to the wall again and walks away to the left, the door closes. It looks like she's, like, dancing. Yeah. It's very bizarre. It's very, very bizarre behavior. So, um, they released this footage on the 14th. Then, on February 19th, Hotel residents and guests started complaining that the water was weird. (gasps) I do know. I do know. Mm -hmm. I just realized. Have you heard this one? Mm -hmm. Um, You just gave me the chills. So they said the water smelled and tasted weird and there was Mm -hmm. low water pressure. Mm -mm. They went up to the roof and they opened the water tower and they found Elisa Lamb naked, floating face down in the water with her clothes, watch, and room key floating in the water around her. And they never found her phone. Um, Her body was moderately decomposed and bloated. It was mostly greenish with some marbling evident on the abdomen and skin. There was no evidence of physical trauma, no evidence of sexual assault, and no evidence of suicide. The toxicology tests were incomplete because not enough of her blood was preserved, but they showed traces consistent with prescription medication and non-prescription drugs like Advil. Um, No recreational drugs in her system. She was bipolar. Mm -hmm. She was on four medications for bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. So on February 21st, the coroner's office issued a finding of accidental drowning with bipolar disorder as a significant factor. The coroner's report was released in June and it stated that her body had been found naked with clothing similar to what she was wearing in the video floating in the water and that she was coated with a sand-like particulate. So, the next section of this is called, So, What the Fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The doors and the stairs that access the hotel's roof are locked, always. Mm -hmm. And you need a staff passcode and key to get through them. Mm -hmm. So, any attempt to force through them would supposedly have triggered an alarm. But the hotel fire escape is easily accessible and you can get to the roof from them and some person went and like took a video of themselves getting onto the roof. Mm, So it's possible. So it's possible that she got up there. But the problem is that it's so difficult to get into the water tank on your own. All four tanks are four by eight feet. They're propped up on concrete blocks. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no fixed access to them and the workers had to use a ladder to get in to it and the door is super heavy and they took police dogs up there and they never found her her scent so we don't know what the fuck yeah i have a lot of theories because the internet is full of crazy people Mm -hmm. one of them was obviously that she was having a psychotic break yeah which is what it looks like in the video right um as someone who has had a psychotic break not that far-fetched looking from, right. like, you know, what I looked like when I thought maybe there were aliens piloting my brain. Yeah. People thought maybe she was actually being pursued by someone mm-hmm. who was trying to kill her. Um, and then we get into the Looney Tune stuff. Yay. So, and I think I did these in order of, like, least crazy to most crazy, but right. least crazy is already about a seven. <laughs> 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 so, here's seven out of ten. Conspiracy theorists have claimed that Elisa Lam was assassinated by the government for referencing on her Twitter a currently-in-the-works Pentagon-funded project between the U.S. and South Korea to develop invisibility cloaking technology. That's the least crazy? Mm-hmm. hmm <laughs> I have more details about this one. So, she tweeted or posted on Tumblr something about, like, oh, look at this cool project okay. about building cloaking devices. And then I found this website that was like, if you look at the Cecil on Google Maps, there's a business embedded in their building called the Invisible Light Agency. <sighs> and then if, <laughs> when you search the net, you will find out that they do visual effects specializing in light effects and, quote, other realities.
0: mm uh-uh.
1: The company is mentioned in an article dating back to 2011, where it's explained what the activities of the Invisible Light Agency are. A man named Anthony V. is also mentioned. At this moment, Anthony V. is working as supervisor at Raytheon Missile Systems, a company that develops weapons. On the website, there's a fake login screen. I don't know if it's actually fake, but this person seems to think it's a fake login screen. Okay. You'll also find a logo of triangles. <gasps> this person said the website obviously serves nothing or nothing anymore. So the big question is, what project is Anthony V. supervising nowadays? Uh-uh. Anthony That's V. A big question. <laughs> <laughs> it's their big question. Okay. Everyone has different big questions. Yeah. Um, and so... Mine is,
0: which of my life choices led me to be drinking in my closet right now?
1: (laughs) A lot. But I bet it starts at age 10 when we joined a theater group together. You're probably right. (laughs) So, this same person (laughs) says... This is where they go way off the rails with this one. (laughs) Were they on the rails this whole time? (laughs) They were, like, careening sideways, (laughs) and it was, like, sparking, and, like, Elastigirl was trying to stop the train, and at this point, they just, like, flicked Elastigirl off and just, like, put it into full throttle. Perhaps her actions in the lift are an attempt on her part to lose an invisible assailant. Oh,
0: like they succeeded in creating invisibility cloaking devices? <laughs>
1: and then they sent an invisible person after her <laughs> for tweeting about it. This would account for her seemingly frustrated and anxious looks at some moments, while playful and confused at others, which is, I not, I did not see one moment of being playful.
0: No. But... But here's the thing. That's actually an excellent point, uh, <laughs> coming from a crazy person, but, like, since she was probably mentally ill. It's possible that she thought she was being pursued by an invisible, yeah. especially if she was retweeting or like <laughs> tumbling, yeah. tumbling like stuff about invisible agents. like she may have well thought there were invisible agents after her. and maybe yeah. that's why she was acting like that.
1: Um it says, and this is fair. it might have been extremely psychologically distressing running from an invisible person, yeah, which is not like where's the lie, you know? that's very true. Okay. So, the next theory is that Elisa Lam was a guinea pig used by the government for trial of a tuberculosis test which uses the enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay called in short, LAM ELISA. And that's real.
0: I don't buy that. She looked like a human to me. <laughs> I hate you, and I quit. (laughs) I don't buy that she was a guinea pig, (laughs) and that's why she was loony. I think that's offensive and hurtful.
1: To guinea pigs or to her? Both. Great. Um, Her stay at the Cecil coincided with a tuberculosis outbreak on Skid Row, which Hmm. spread throughout downtown Los Angeles. Uh, Also, it is notable that a common antibiotic used in the treatment of TB patients is isoniazid. Which has side effects consistent with abnormal behavior and confusion, which would account for her erratic behavior in the elevator, even though her toxicology report didn't show any particular substances in her system. Mm-hmm. That well, coincide. it was incomplete. It wasn't complete. They didn't have a lot of blood to work with. So, thus far, we have um, invisible government assassin and tuberculosis government testing. Okay. <sighs> This is where it gets a little reddity. One of these theories that a lot of people talked about when I was doing research is that Elisa was playing what is called the elevator game. Have you heard of the elevator game? Absolutely not. Okay. So it's like on the R no sleep level. So I read it because that's what I do at work when all my background actors are on set. Mm -hmm. I read creepy stories. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I know of the elevator game. The elevator game is supposed to transport you to an alternate dimension. I
0: don't like this. I'm never Mm -hmm. getting in an elevator ever again. No,
1: it's fine. It requires really specific things. Okay. All of which I will tell you Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. So, it requires one building at least 10 stories high with an elevator. Only one person can play at a time. You can only perform this ritual in a building at least 10 stories high you cannot proceed otherwise. Enter the elevator from the first floor by yourself. If anyone gets on, then understand that you cannot continue from the first floor and wait until the elevator can be taken alone. Press the button for the fourth floor. Do not get out when the elevator reaches the fourth floor. Stay in the elevator and press the button for the second floor. Do not get out when you reach the second floor! Stay on the elevator and then press the button for the sixth floor. Do not get out when you reach the sixth floor. Remain in the elevator and press the button for the second floor. Do not get out when you reach the second floor. Stay on the elevator and press the button for the 10th floor. Some have reported hearing a voice calling to them on the second floor during this middle section of the ritual. Do not reply. Do not answer in any way. Do not get out once you've reached the 10th floor. Stay on and press the button for the 5th floor. It has been reported by some that a woman may enter the elevator on floor 5. She may appear as a stranger who wishes to engage with you. More importantly, she may appear as someone you know. It is important that you do not acknowledge her in word or glance. If the elevator you are in is reflective, then stare at the floor or the buttons only. Now press the button to the first floor. If instead of going towards the first floor, you begin to ascend to the 10th, then you have performed the ritual correctly. However, and this is very important, if you instead do descend to the first floor, then you have done something wrong. Get off on the first floor immediately. If the woman is on the elevator, then remember not to acknowledge her. If you reach the 10th floor, you can either stay on the elevator or exit the elevator. Some have reported that upon attempting to leave the elevator, the woman will try one last time to engage with you. She may raise her voice and ask where you're going or what's wrong. She may shriek as you cross the door's threshold. Keep your wits about you and do not engage or look at her even out of fear. There is only one way to know whether you have traveled to the other world for sure. You will know because you will be the only person there. No! Mm -hmm. Creepy! So that's the elevator game. Okay, I don't like that. Me neither. It's spooky. So, here's the last and best and looniest theory. Okay. And it involves our best baby boy, Alistair Crowley. (gasps) Ah! I know. And it is so silly and so (laughs) ridiculous. Okay, so... Did you know that the Cecil Hotel has a twin Mm -hmm. in London? Mm -hmm. It does. Mm -hmm. It's called the Cecil Hotel, and it's in London. London. (laughs) It was built in 1886, and then it was torn down in 1930. It was no rooming house for outcasts. It was, in fact, a luxury hotel accommodating corporate power and the global elite. It was named after Sir Robert Cecil, the Earl of Salisbury, and the treasurer to James I., Who lived on the property. And uh, the Cecils were the power behind the throne of Queen Elizabeth I. The hotel had its own built-in Masonic Hall. I love this. So it was a favorite meeting place for many Freemason lodges in the London area, including those noted for worshiping Lucifer. (laughs) So, Alistair Crowley stayed at the Cecil. Mm Mm-hmm. While he was staying there, he was introduced to George Cecil Jones, who was a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Our favorite. Uh, Jones introduced Crowley to the book of the sacred magic of the Abra the Mage, um, and practical magic, his favorite. So uh, on November 18th, Crowley was still staying at the Cecil and he was initiated into the Outer Order of the Golden Dawn by. It's prestigious leader, Samuel Little McGregor Mathers. Um, also, while he was staying there, Crowley wrote a bunch of poetry. In particular, he wrote one called... Okay, it's spelled J-E-P-H-T-H-A-H. Jeff Jephtha? That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, in particular, one called Jephthah, which has been cited by conspiracy theorists as somehow foreshadowing Elisa Lamb. No. Mm-hmm. The poem tells of Jephthah, a judge of Israel, who ended up burning his daughter as a sacrifice. The daughter's name was Selah, S E I L A, which is an anagram for Elisa, Mm-mm. which already feels like a reach, mm-hmm. you know? Um, here's the poem. Let my lamp at midnight hour be seen in some high lonely tower where I may oft outwatch the bear with thrice great Hermes or unsphere I don't want (laughs) the spirit of Plato to unfold what worlds or what vast regions hold the immortal mind that hath forsook her mansion in the fleshy nook. And of those daemons that are found in fire, air, flood, or underground, whose power hath a true consent with planet or with element, sometime let gorgeous tragedy in sceptered pall come sweeping by. <laughs> that doesn't rhyme. <laughs> no. And then it says Il penseroso. Il penseroso, which translates to the serious man, is just a sad poem by John Milton. Okay. It doesn't come into play again, but I wanted to look it up because Mm -hmm. I would have asked Mm -hmm. you. Um, So that's like what people think ties Aleister Crowley to Elisa Lamb, which is nonsense. Yeah. He also at one point claimed to have met a being that is, he describes as looking similar to the Mm Greys, named Lamb. Spelled the same way, L A M. Oh my goodness. And it's believed that after his interaction with Lamb, Crowley used a magical ritual to open a portal of entry between Lamb's uh, dimension and ours, which is of interest mm-hmm. if you think Elisa was playing mm-hmm. the elevator game. Creepy. And that's the last, last looniest theory. None of the theories were murder, right? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Copy. I mean, like, maybe. Some people think that she was murdered by a hotel employee because how else could she, she get she on get the, the roof, right. but it's also, like, if you're having a psychotic break, you can climb up. A-
0: oh, I, I just absolutely... And also, you know, like, I think that, like, you... There's, you know, like, when, uh, when the brain is under, like, great duress, you, like... You know, like moms lifting cars off babies. Mm-hmm. Like you get, soup like you can have super yeah, you can strength. Basically, climb into a
1: water tower. I
0: think that she probably was trying to hide from something. Mm-hmm. I think she was hallucinating. I think she crawled up the fire escape and then I think she was trying to hide from it and she climbed into the water tower
1: and just sat in there, hiding. And then, but then, why was she naked and face down?
0: Well, she probably took her clothes off at some point because she was, whatever hallucinating that she needed to for some reason there was no evidence of sexual assault Mm -hmm. and no like wounds or anything right Mm -mm. yeah i think she just went got loony and fell asleep in there
1: oh yeah i wonder if she literally fell asleep i think she was just hiding in there so long she fell asleep and drowned i didn't consider the idea that she might have fallen asleep (laughs) i mean if you
0: were hiding from something up there
1: that's so scary, especially she if been she'd so been scared. like awake for days. Like, yeah, if you're having a manic break, you're not yeah. sleeping. Mm-hmm. And that if you're on like me a bunch sad of, for her. I know, me too. And she, probably, she wasn't taking her medication. Oh, she wasn't taking it. Well, it was in her system, but in like, you know, if she was hiding in the water tower, she missed at least one yeah, dose. Right, right, right. And even one will make you feel. She weird. may have missed a dose before that. Yeah. It was in her system, but, like, that
0: doesn't mean anything. No, but, I mean, most of those, the half-life of them is Mm. long enough to be significant. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't, you, you, the effects would wear off, but the chemicals would still leave a trace in your system. You know what I mean? Like, even Mm -hmm. Prozac, like, you start feeling the effects of not taking it the first day you miss a dose, but it stays in your system for, like, two days.
1: Yeah. Creepy. Poor baby. I thought I was going to end this like laughing at Aleister Crowley and the crazy people on the internet, but I'm really just like, want to give her a hug. Yeah, I'm sad for her. Mm, That could be me. Yeah, that could be any of us that have had,
0: (laughs) ended up in the psych ward.
1: Yeah. Luckily, my psychotic breaks usually end with me just not leaving my bed. Smart. Which is safer than going to a hotel for 1940s transients. Yeah. So that's Elisa Lamb. Well, I,
0: uh, yeah, I feel, I feel for her. I really do. Mm. It's hard. I mean, mental illness is super hard. You and I talk about it all the time because we're both very open about our mental illness, but yeah, it's just.
1: Yeah. It's so scary to be so far away from your parents and like, mm-hmm. How a psychotic break, Be so especially out of touch if with reality. you're already medicated. Yeah. And she was cl- like, brought her medication with her, so clearly she was at least taking it sometimes. That's right. scary though when that shit fails you. Mm-hmm. I was medicated when I thought aliens were piloting my body. So mm-hmm. thanks for nothing, Wellbutrin, <laughs> except for like three years of stability. But then <laughs> <laughs> after that, it became alien pods. I bet. That was fun. All right. Fun thing. Should we take a break? Yeah. Let's take a break. Let's a break. Okay. We're back. We're back.
0: We're back. back. The second cracking, the ceremonial cracking (laughs) of the second beer. You got there. Yay. Cheer. (laughs) Hooray. Mmm. I figured out why that story is so scary. I would like to hear. And I think it's because not everyone, but I think a lot of us have, um, like intrusive thoughts sometimes. And I think I definitely know for me with my anxiety, like one of my fears is like losing control of my own mind. Yeah. And I learned something recently in my journey of like trying to learn to live with my anxiety, which is that... Everyone has thoughts like that. Everyone has thoughts like, what if I... I mean, I love cats, so this is not me, but like... Sometimes people look at a cat and be like, what if I just threw that cat in a trash can? Or like, what if I just ran out in front of that car? I have that constantly.
1: Yeah. Like, what if I just drove onto the
0: other side of the street? People have those thoughts all the time. And like, I think that they're really scary to have because then you think like, what if I lose control and I do something like that? And the truth is that like, they're just thoughts. Like, everyone has them. So there was a study that someone did with people who have OCD and then people who don't have OCD... And, uh, whenever they had like a negative intrusive thought about like, well, what if my family dies or what if like something bad like that? Or like, what if I kicked that cat? Or like, what if I, whatever they were supposed to like push a button on this like pager and it would record how often they had those thoughts. And it turned out that people without OCD, cause with OCD typically and panic disorder too, like you have those thoughts all the time mm-hmm. and it's scary. They found out that people with OCD and people with panic disorder had those thoughts the same number of times that people without those disorders have them. Hmm. It's just that people with OCD and people with panic disorder, people with anxiety dwell on them. Yeah. But apparently
1: everyone has thoughts like that. So I have that where I'll think like, what if, you know, you or Becky or something like, not my parents but I <laughs> cut that part out, but like, you know, like what if someone dies? Yeah. But then my brain like uh, walks me through the scenario of yeah. how it would feel. And I have to like, Catholic, it's because you're proactive. dwelling on it because everyone has those thoughts
0: like what if my best friend died what if my mom died what if my cat died like and I remember when I was in college when I first got Olive I was constantly in fear that like she would somehow get hurt or die and it would be my fault I think that that's like a very apparently it's a very normal thing but those with anxiety and with like panic disorders and OCD like we dwell on them a lot mm-hmm. and that makes us feel like at any point yeah. we could go crazy and do something like insane and so I think that's why that story is like Extra scary to us, especially with dealing with our mental health issues, because we fear, like, ending up, you know, having the same fate. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, like, everyone has those thoughts, and they're normal. The trick is just to learn to say, like, that's a thought I had, and let it go. Not dwell on it. Yeah. So, super interesting stuff. Uh, I'm going to do a mystery now. And my mystery is another Hollywood mine is a murder. Mm. So Edward L. Doheny Sr. first struck oil in Los Angeles in 1892.
1: Like of Doheny the mm-hmm. street? Yeah. And My mom the... is going to love this. If she listened to it, she would love it. <laughs> she if she LA cared what history. we did, she would like it. Today on the phone I was like, I'm about to go record as Maggie, and she was like, Okay. <laughs> Thanks for your support, Mom.
0: Thank you. My mom listens to our podcast now, and it's so funny because when she hears something, sometimes she'll like call me and be like, I remembered when D.B. Cooper happened.
1: <laughs> I was there. It's great. I love that. Thank God we have your mom. <laughs> <laughs> it's true.
0: Edward L. Doheny Sr. first struck oil in Los Angeles in 1892 and quickly became one of the richest men in the world. He was a rival of John D. Rockefeller, and by the 1920s, the Dohenies owned all the land now known as the Truesdale Estates and the adjacent Doheny Drive properties, which is now an incredibly affluent neighborhood in Beverly Hills that extends up into the, uh, up against the Santa Monica Mountains. At the time, Sunset Boulevard at Doheny was literally a path used for horseback riding.
1: And now it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks, horses. <laughs> 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 it's their fault. E.L. Doheny Sr. developed relationships with many politicians, including then-president Warren G. Harding. His Secretary of Interior was named Albert Fall, and Doheny Sr. once gifted Albert Fall $100,000, which is $10 million in today money. For what? As a gift. To say thank you for the lovely gift, Secretary Fall made it possible for Doheny to secure oil drilling rights to a large deposit of oil on federally owned lands, particularly one rich uh, one rich one, which was called the Teapot Dome.
1: I see what you sneaky white male motherfuckers did. The one hundred thousand dollar cash bribe
0: to the Secretary of the Interior. There we go. Had been hand delivered in a black valise by Mister Doheny's only living child, Ned, who was then in his late twenties, along with his assistant, uh, Ned's assistant, who had been his boyfriend. His boyfriend. <laughs> along with his. Sorry. I like this story better if they're boyfriends. The $100,000 cash bribed to the Secretary of Interior had been hand-delivered in a black valise by Mr. Doheny's only living child, Ned, who was then in his late 20s, along with Ned's assistant, who had been his boyhood friend, Hugh Plunkett. Hugh
1: Plunkett and Ned. Yeah.
0: Government shills. In the 1920s, Doheny Sr. gifted 16 acres of land for his son, Ned, and his wife, Lucy, to build their dream home. February 15th, 1927, construction began on a 55-room, Tudor-style home, 46,000 square feet on 16 acres of land. At the time it was built, it cost over $4 million, and it was the most expensive home built in California up to that time. $4 it million then, in then money.
1: So what is that now?
0: I don't know. Like, a lot. <laughs> um, Good math. But it, uh... It quickly became second because Hearst Castle was under construction at the
1: same time. Good.
0: Ned I don't like Luc- these people. I know. Ned and Lucy had a hand in designing the interior, and the head architect, Gordon Kaufman, is most notably known for his work on the Hoover Dam. <laughs> the home was dubbed Greystone Mansion after the unfathomable number of greystones used to build it. It had stables, athletic facilities, tennis courts, gyms, swimming pools, a screening room, a ballroom, bowling alleys, and a secret Prohibition-era bar in the billiard room. What year was this? 27? Yeah, it was completed in 1928.
1: What are they screening? All three movies ever made? (laughs) Yes.
0: Just that one train one.
1: (laughs) What's that racist one? Where they're in blackface? That's a lot of them. I know. I that could be most, anyone. The main, most famous one. Birth of a Nation. Yeah. <laughs> Song of the South. <laughs> this is our screening room. And we show Birth of a Nation here. It
0: even had its own switchboard and telephone system. Mm-hmm. It had marble steps in the grand entryway, hand-carved woodwork. Uh, later generations of Los Angelinos called it Dragonwick after the movie that was said to have been inspired by the property.
1: What is Dragonwick? I don't know. We're going to
0: have to watch it. Great. Construction was completed in 1928, and Ned, Lucy, their five children, and 15 members of staff moved in.
1: During what the about con- Hugh Plunkett?
0: He lived in an apartment in Hollywood.
1: He really got the short end of that stick.
0: During the construction of the mansion, and in the months after... Ap- he gets the short end of the whole stick. Oh, Hugh. <laughs> During the construction of the mansion, and in the months after its completion, the teapot dome scandal unfolded. After Albert Fall suddenly got rich and Doheny Sr. suddenly got the rights to drill for oil on federal land, everyone came under investigation. Great. Albert Fall was convicted of accepting a bribe from the oil tycoon. He was the first cabinet member to ever be imprisoned. Doheny Sr. was under investigation, and because Ned and Hugh had delivered the bribe money by hand, they were also under investigation as accomplices. Ned and Hugh had been called to testify in the up- upcoming Vibert. Ned and Hugh had been called to testify in the upcoming bribery trials of Albert Fall and E.L. Doheny, and although Ned had been assured immunity, Hugh had not. <gasps> no! On the night of February 16, 1929, Hugh Plunkett arrived at the Greystone Mansion. He used his passkey to enter the home and went to the guest room on the first floor where he frequently stayed. He called Ned from the switchboard and Ned came to the guest room to have a discussion with him. Lucy was sitting in the library reading magazines alone when around 11 o'clock at night she heard a single gunshot ring out from the east wing. Instead of calling the police, she called the family doctor, E.C. Fishbaugh, who was paged by his maid while out at the theaters. He quickly came to Greystone Manor, arriving around 11.30. The pair made their way to the east wing where they found Hugh standing outside the bedroom door holding a gun. He told Lucy and the doctor to stay away, slam the door, and then another single gunshot rang out. The two entered the bedroom to find Ned dead from a gunshot wound to the head and Hugh dead of apparent suicide. Around 2 a.m. they called the police. Huge question mark. Huge eyebrow raise. Here's why we're pretty sure that's not how it happened. Ned had gunshot residue on his head, meaning the gun couldn't have been more than a few inches away from his head when it was fired, and Hugh, he was shot from behind. He was found face down with a half-finished cigarette in his hand. (sighs) By the time the police arrived, several hours later, it was apparent that the bodies had been moved. Lucy and the doctor claimed that they moved the bodies when the doctor attempted to revive them. Speaking with the staff, all of their stories were exactly the same as if they had been rehearsed. The deaths were ruled a murder-suicide. It was Ned Hugh murdering Ned.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: And El Doheny Senior. The Senate was so sympathetic to his grief that the investigation into his bribery of the bribery of the Secretary of the Interior was called off entirely. Of course, it fucking was.
1: God, Lucy, Damn, I'm
0: already mad. Lucy remarried five years after her husband's death, almost to the day, to an investment banker. Mm -hmm. They eventually sold the house and moved into a smaller home. What was his name, Trip. (laughs) Yeah. She lived to be over 100. In her twilight years, she apparently got up every morning, got dressed for a lunch date, and would sit in a winged back chair facing the window with her handbag, just waiting for something.
1: What? Did she specifically say, like, I'm going to a lunch date? No, I have so many questions and I know you're not going to answer them and I'm not. already mad at you <laughs>
0: um, now we can discuss theory a little bit before I move on um, at the time like the newspapers went crazy because there was like this millionaire like heir who had been murdered supposedly and there were all these rumors that swirled that they had been lovers and that it was like a lover's spat then there was also a theory that Lucy killed both of them because they were lovers, oh, that see. she got jealous and killed okay. them. It the The forensic evidence looks like Ned shot Hugh and then shot himself. My theory is that because Hugh did not have immunity in the trial, Hugh was going to come out and be honest or mm-hmm. try to make a deal. That's what I thought. And that Ned didn't want him to. Yeah. And so they decide, and then Ned killed him to keep him from, you know, like telling the truth and then turn the gun on himself because he felt so guilty about what he'd done because they were childhood friends. Hmm. It's unlikely that they were lovers, but that's also possible. And that would also like ex- further explain why he would like kill himself after killing Hugh.
1: Yeah. It's the him killing himself that I'm hung up on, mm-hmm. but...
0: Another thing is that Greystone Mansion had a gun room that Ned had built, where it's like the racks were like built into the walls. And he would sit in this big bay window at the front of the property and have his servants release like pre-stocked game for him and shoot them from the window. And then have the servants go pick them up and prepare them for like dinner or whatever. And in the Greystone Mansion, there was like a grooved countertop specifically for that.
1: This is the grossest rich white dude shit I've ever heard. I I can, like, see his closet full of pastel polos. I know. Mm, Khakis and boat shoes and murder.
0: So everyone's, like, pretty convinced that they paid off the police, Mm -hmm. obviously. And that probably Ned killed Hugh. Mm -hmm. And then the gun was... Because of the gun residue, it could not have been more than an inch from his head when it was fired. So either Lucy fired it or he fired it. Yeah, I... And it's... Lucy, much to your dismay, went to her grave never telling a soul anything. Never I swear, confessed. I will say
1: it every episode if I have to. Confess on your deathbed. <laughs> i'm going to it might even be a lie but uh... by the way
0: Greystone manor or er, mansion was set to be subdivided and demolished until the city of beverly Hills stepped in bought it and added it to the historical places registry it's been used in several films including the big lebowski spider-man 3 and witches of eastwick really mm-hmm. it's like a filming location by the way it's super haunted Ned's daughter had her own room. She frequently had little friends stay over, and in 1936, during the night... This is after... uh, I didn't mention this earlier. He was murdered five months after they moved into the home. Okay. In 1936, during the night, one of her friends fell out of the bedroom window to her death. (gasps) Quote-unquote, fell. Yeah. Apparently, the house has been investigated by paranormal scientists on many occasions, and... Uh, two rangers have quit because of their paranormal experiences at the mansion.
1: Do they have any kind of testimony?
0: There is a tape of an incident that occurred during the filming of National Treasure Book of Secrets. I might cry. One evening after shooting, the sound man decided to leave his equipment on all night to see if they'd catch anything on tape. Sure enough, in the middle of the night, there was a loud noise. A gunshot, maybe? followed by something tipping over and the sound of something being dragged across the floor. <gasps> when, the, when Steve and the crew returned the next morning, there was no evidence of anything untoward and neither the alarm nor the set had been disturbed. That's super interesting because when Ned was found, his chair was tipped over backwards and he had um, a whiskey glass in his hand.
1: I'm... I don't know if you can tell, but I'm near tears. (laughs) (laughs) That tape is out there somewhere. I want it so bad. I know.
0: Um, Now, the grounds of the mansion are a park open to visitors.
1: And that's where we're going next weekend.
0: The interior of the mansion can be rented for events, but it's closed to the general public. And we're going there. We're going. The grounds are open 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then from January through June, monthly Sunday concerts... In the mansion called Music in the Mansion, are followed by meet the artist receptions and a tour of the first floor of the Greystone Mansion. Tickets oh, are twenty dollars. We're
1: going. They start in January. We're going. Are you so excited? I'm. I am tearing up. I am <laughs> so excited. It has this has everything I love: Los Angeles, national treasure, spooky stuff caught on sound equipment, murder, murder, concerts. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really like concerts. Betrayal. So much. Betrayal. <laughs> Lovers, oil question tycoons, mark? oil tycoons, bribery. The thing is that house, that property,
0: and the house was built with like dirty oil money. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that shit's fucking haunted. Okay, so
1: let's no, f- have an answer. Let's
0: five steps of solving a mystery. This. Okay. Quibono.
1: No. Step one. <laughs> what happened? Identify what oh. is the mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Check. Great, got it. Well, I think you
0: were made a good point, which is like the real mystery is like why did Ned die?
1: Yeah, I don't... I
0: understand why he would have killed Hugh, but I don't fully
1: understand why Ned had to die. I don't either, and I don't buy necessarily that it was suicide. That it was suicide out of guilt
0: because. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't seem like he was guilty for any other fucked up things he did.
1: Yeah, it's like he's led a life of being a shitty rich white dude. Like, Mm -hmm. why would all of a sudden now, after already having screwed over his possible lover Mm -hmm. slash best friend, like, why would this? People did say of him they were like he was super
0: spoiled, but they said that he like had a heart of gold.
1: Uh, No, I don't buy that. Who said that? Other rich white guys. No. No, 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 no.
0: People say that about
1: our, not our president.
0: Here's the thing. Good point. Here's the thing though, too. Like, Lucy heard a gunshot ring out and she didn't call the police. And she also didn't go investigate. I don't buy it. She called the doctor, no, waited for I him to get it. there and then went.
1: No, I don't buy that for one second. I also don't buy that she didn't go look. Mm-hmm. I'm frustrated. Okay, step two, qui bono? No, step two is (laughs) (laughs) identify people people to (laughs) make sure the the mystery mystery is real. Oh, right. (laughs) Verify the mystery. It's definitely real. Okay, so step four. What? (laughs) Are we on four? No. What are we on? Three. Step three. (laughs) Step three. Qui bono? Step
0: four is like <laughs> mysteries are hard.
1: No, that's step five. What's step four? Step four is qui bono. Then step, what's step five three? is mysteries are hard. It's step one, <laughs> identify the I mystery. Got so hot. Step two, identify possible people, people for of proof. interest.
0: No, it's identify people f- uh, for proof that the mystery is real.
1: <laughs> You're making it way less complicated than it is. <laughs> Step one, identify the mystery. Step two, identify people in the mystery. Step three, identify people for proof. Step four, qui bono. Step five, (laughs) mysteries are hard. (laughs) Okay, great. So, qui bono.
0: Qui bono. Well, E.L. Sr. bonos, because
1: (laughs) he got his investigation called
0: off. But I don't think he killed anyone. He
1: wasn't really even involved. No. But I can see that, I can see E.L. Sr. telling Ned to kill Hugh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. To protect the family or something. To protect the family, because Hugh was
0: obviously going to talk. Right. But you also made a good point, which is that Ned could have been, you know, drunk or whatever and killed Hugh, and that Lucy could have killed Ned. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she, she bonoed.
1: (laughs) She bonoed because she got... She stood to inherit everything. The inheritance, and maybe she was sleeping with Hugh. Yeah, like maybe she and Hugh had been lovers, and then I think that's very, very possible. Ned killed Hugh, and she was like, this is the final straw. Yeah. That makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. And Ned wouldn't have even had to know they were having an affair to kill Hugh, because he Mm -hmm. already had the motive. What if she and Ned planned for Ned to kill Hugh, but Ned didn't know that she was planning to kill him? Oh, like she was the mastermind, Mm -hmm. and then she puppeted him? Yeah, and then staged it as a (gasps) murder-suicide.
1: girl to get
0: her money love that that explains why she was sitting in a fucking chair for the rest of her life waiting for judgment day to come in her twilight years she would get up every morning get dressed for an imaginary lunch date and then sit in a wingback chair in her home facing a window with her handbag next to her just waiting for something so fucking weird a lot of people think that she was just like waiting for judgment day essentially that she was just like so racked with guilt
1: yeah, but, like, don't be wracked with guilt. Ned was clearly a piece of shit. Right. I mean, you don't know. Yeah. I imagine it as, like, she hears the gunshot. She runs in. Hugh is dead. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what the fuck happened? Mm-hmm. And he's like, he was going to talk. And then she, like... <laughs> In My Wildest Dreams, like, ties him up and, like, holds the gun to his head and does this really long, dramatic monologue, like, in, like, a tight close-up. Yeah. About then, like, j- like shimmering, like, tears trembling on mm-hmm. the edge of her eyelids, mm-hmm. and she's like, he was my lover and he gave me more than you ever did. See, no, what I see
0: is she runs in and he was dead, and fucking Ned is sitting there with like the whiskey glass in his hand and the gun and he's like I had to kill Hugh like he was gonna talk and she's like oh my god like babe give me the gun Ah. Oh. she's like give me the gun I'll fix it we'll fix, fix it, it. We'll, Just we're gonna make gun. it through this and then, like, and then she's like and then she's like JK motherfucker
1: oh she hits him in the head and she's like he was my lover I love that mine is Oscar bait and yours is like sexy mini-series for HBO. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do both.
0: <laughs> Great. If anyone wants our uh, scripts for...
1: I wonder for that if, one if, scene. I wonder
0: if movies have been made out about this. I'm sure there have been.
1: Maybe. Or maybe the Doheny family is so prominent in LA that no That's one's allowed to. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. <laughs> if they could pay off the police... If they could pay off. Yeah. I'm sure they have troves and troves... They have the rights to the story. Yeah. Yeah. Where they just, like, gave them $100,000 and they were like, don't ever talk about this. Yeah. And this, this poor screenwriter who spent so many hours in the coffee bean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the ultimate moral of the story is we don't know. We
1: don't know. And um, stay in your lane. Step into the world
0: of power,
1: loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family